Jesus says in the Gospel of John that no one comes to the Father except through the Son. So that raises the question, before the Son had come to earth and put God's plan of salvation in place, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to open a path for us back to the Father, then how were people connected to God? How did they get to heaven? How were they saved, forgiven, etc.? Hi folks, this is Andy, the analytical preacher. And we know that folks were saved, for example, in the Old Testament book of Genesis, early in fact in Genesis. We're told that Abraham was credited or counted righteous by God. We'll go to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and we read this. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That verse is so important that Paul actually quotes it in Romans 4, We're going to look at Romans 4 in a bit, but Paul quotes this verse from Genesis 15 and Romans 4, 3, because it's so important, because it helps explain the answer to the question that we're looking at. That verse in Genesis 15 could be retranslated from the original Hebrew, something like this, and Abraham believed Yahweh, or Abraham had faith in Yahweh, and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. This idea about righteousness and faith and righteousness and belief or belief and salvation being combined, we also see in other places an Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 2.4, he writes that the righteous shall live by faith or live by their faith. And Paul quotes that Old Testament verse twice. He actually quotes it in Romans chapter 1 and in Galatians chapter 3. But if we go back to our verse in Genesis 15, 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, what we see is this righteousness, this state of being found guiltless at this point because a debt has been paid, this newfound state of innocence was counted to Abraham or gifted to Abraham. And so it's accurate to say, in a, in a sense, that Abraham was saved by the grace of God through his faith in God. Abraham was saved, was gifted salvation by the grace of God through his belief in God's promises. Of course, we read that exact same thing about Christians today in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So essentially the the foundational principle here is when we believe in God, when we have faith in God's promises, especially God's promises related to salvation, then God gifts us or gives us the grace of salvation. Now, there's nuance here, of course. James reminds us in his New Testament letter, James being the half-brother, the half-biological brother of Jesus. James reminds us in his New Testament letter that we're saved by our faith, not by what we do or how we do it, but that if our faith is a saving faith, we will begin to see actions in our lives that are consistent with those promises of God in which we have faith. And of course, Who does James use as his example for this? None other than Abraham from the Old Testament. Let me go to James chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. James says this, You see that faith was active along with 
his works, along with Abraham's works. And faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So James is saying, yes, Abraham had faith and it was his faith or belief in God that was counted to him as righteousness. But because his faith was a real saving faith, his actions then became consistent with this belief in God's promises. So exactly what then did Abraham believe? What did he have faith in that allowed God to gift him, to give him through grace, this salvation, this righteousness, this justification? Any of those words are applicable there. God had promised Abraham that he was going to make a great nation from him. But more importantly, that one of the descendants of Abraham, one of the descendants in this great nation that would come from Abraham, would be anointed by God to bless the whole world, to bless the whole world with reversing the curse of sin and with essentially what today we would call salvation. Now, for those who know the biblical story of Abraham in Genesis, Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old. They had been unable to have children. God tells them, post-menopause essentially, you will have a child. From that child will come a child. From that child will come this huge nation. And from that nation will come my anointed Messiah, what we would call the King or the Christ, what we would also call our Lord and Savior. And we're told that Abraham and Sarah believed that promise and that that belief was gifted to them as righteousness. Again, for those who know the story, Abraham and his wife Sarah finally did have a child. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah, when she miraculously gave birth, was 90 years old. That story is important about Abraham and how he was saved by his faith because today we say that we are also saved by our faith. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans does a beautiful job of tying all these concepts together. In Romans chapter 4, verses 20 to 25, we read this. No unbelief made him waver. This is Abraham. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Again, that's Paul uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 20 to 25. And what Paul is saying is, Abraham had a faith. How would you define that faith, Paul? And Paul says, I can tell you that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He believed in God's promises so strongly that he was acting in a way that was consistent with belief in God's promises. And because he had faith in this promise of God concerning this blessing, God counted it to him as righteousness. And Paul says, 
We're to take that as well because it will be counted as righteousness to us who believe in God and who believe that God raised from the dead Jesus Christ after he had been delivered up for our trespasses. But in a way, we're back to our same question. So we part of the answer to our original question, how did people get connected to the Father? How did they go to heaven? How were they forgiven? How were they saved? However you phrase the question, how did that happen before Jesus Christ? And part of our answer is because they had faith in God and faith in the promises of God. Not just some mental acceptance that God must be there, but they had a real faith in the promises of God such that their actions became consistent in living like they believed the promises of God, as James told us. But then we still have the issue because Paul says here that Jesus had to be delivered up for our trespasses. And so before Jesus was delivered up for those trespasses, how could faith have been counted to Abraham as righteousness? The good news is you don't have to rely on me for the answer. Paul had actually already addressed this question in his previous chapter in Romans. So let me go back now and read Romans chapter 3 verses 22 to 26. It says this, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, you can say saved, forgiven, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was also to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we clearly see here, Paul just inextricably links faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross with salvation. So then we ask, how then was Abraham forgiven or saved in the time period before Jesus came and died on the cross? And Paul tells us here, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And in a way that sounds like he just let them go. He didn't worry about it. But what Paul means by this This was to show God's righteousness as this. For God to simply pass over a sin and not require a payment to be made for that debt goes completely against God's holy character. God simply could not do that. God could not allow sin to go unpunished forever. And so what this is saying is, Because God knew that the payment was coming and because God knew that the payment would be made in full and be completely accepted by him, he quote unquote passed over those former sins in divine forbearance until they could be paid for by Christ on the cross. And as Paul says, this was to show God's righteousness because if he just ignored former sins, and pretended like they didn't matter, then God would have to go against his own holy character. 
We actually see something similar in the New Testament. There's more than once when Jesus tells someone, son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Go your way, your sins are forgiven. Or your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. So again, how could Jesus forgive sin if Hebrews tells us that there has to be the shedding of blood to pay sin and Christ had not shed his blood yet, then how could that be? Here's probably a a good kind of goofy example for that. Let's say you go on a show, you're on some YouTube channel or you're on Oprah Winfrey's old talk show or something, and this person tells you, I'm going to totally pay the loan on the car. That whatever loan you owe on whatever cars you have, I'm going to pay that loan. And you know that this person has the money to pay that, and they've written you a guarantee. They've made you a contractual guarantee that they will pay your car loan, and you verify that they have the funds to pay the car loan. It is very reasonable for you to call your family when the show is over and say, hey, guess what? My car just got paid off. My car debt is forgiven. Now, here's what you and I both know. It's not really technically forgiven until the check or the electronic payment clears the bank until the holder of your auto loan, your bank or auto company, gets a check or an electronic payment from the person that's paying it all for you until they get that and all those funds clear all the channels and all the bank accounts that are necessary. The loan isn't technically paid off. That's what was going on in a sense here. We saw similar things in the New Testament. Christ rode in on Palm Sunday, on a donkey, as the king of peace, as as the king who had conquered and established peace over the enemy. Yet Christ hadn't done that yet. He had won a partial war, of course, when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He didn't win the final war, of course, until he was raised from the dead. But Christ was so certain It was inevitable that Christ would ultimately win that final battle and complete the final war that Christ on Palm Sunday rode in as the victorious king of peace when he rode up into Jerusalem on that donkey. And so when God said, Abraham, your faith and my promises are counted to you as righteousness, or Jesus said to someone, daughter, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. It was so certain that those sins were going to be paid for. And again, that's part of what Paul is talking about in Romans 3. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sin. Jesus had to publicly die and pay for sin to show that God had not just let go of sin, that God was still holy. Then he goes on, and it was to show his righteousness in the present time so that he might be both just and justifier. What does just mean? It shows right now, when Christ was dying on the cross, when he was being resurrected from the dead, that God is just, that every crime is punished, that every the debt for every sin has to be paid in order for God to be just. It also shows that he is the justifier because Christ himself was God when he died and paid for those sins. So people in the Old Testament were saved in a very similar manner to people in the New Testament. They were saved by a gift of God through God's grace and mercy because they had a true 
faith, a real belief, a belief in a faith so deep that it caused the person's behavior to begin to be conformed to those promises of God. They had a saving faith, a saving belief in the promises of God and in the work of Jesus Christ, either the work of the Jesus Christ that was coming in terms of Abraham, Noah, Isaac, etc., or the work of the Christ who's come and completing his work in the case of you and I today. So the death of Christ on the cross was absolutely necessary to pay for the sins of mankind. Because God knew it was coming and because God knew it was certain, he could pass over former sins and wait and allow them to be paid in that moment in Calvary. Because God knew that I would sin how and when, he could go ahead and pay for my sins 2,000 years ago and that single moment with Christ's blood on Calvary. It was necessary for Christ to die to pay for our sins. And then it is necessary for us, whether we were living in the times of Genesis or living in current times, it was necessary for us to have an actionable faith and belief in the promises of God about salvation related to this anointed son of his who was sent into the world. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.